Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Hi, yogis. Welcome back to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica. And this week's episode is a little different. It is a solo podcast about conscious conception. And I've really been putting off until the very last moment releasing this episode because it's so personal and I feel really vulnerable sharing a lot of this information, even though I think it's an incredibly important topic and one that I wish more women knew about some of the things that I I will be sharing and talking about and some of the things that I've learned along my journey so far. So please just listen and be kind and um, also feel free to reach out if you have any questions, send me an email, send me a DM on Instagram. And other than that, just enjoy. I also would like to announce that for the Atman Yoga School, we are getting so excited to look forward to whatever our new reality is going to be after the lockdown is done and life gets back to some sort of way of being. And we are um, opening enrollment. Everything is open for all of our 2021 teacher trainings in Oslo and in Trondheim. And we're getting ready to announce more dates and more cities. So stay tuned if you are interested in finding out where we're gonna be bringing our teacher trainings next. And we also have a few spots left in our June Oslo Restore Teacher Training. And then we have some spots in our Bergen Restore Training the end of May. And then we have just announced the dates in November coming up this year, this fall, for another Restore and Yoga Nidra Teacher Training. So I think that our world, our community, our society needs more stillness, more meditation, more relaxation, uh, more than ever. It's, we're at a really crucial tipping point and who do we want to be and how do we want to show up in the world? And these are some of the things that we talk about in this training. So if you're interested or would like more information, send us an email at hello at atmanyogaschool.com. All right, here we go. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the One Sacred Pause podcast. Another week, another episode. I am your host, Jessica, and uh, this week is a solo episode. It's also uh, a pretty personal episode. The topic is conscious conception, and I'm going to be sharing a lot of the things that I did uh, to prepare for getting pregnant and this journey of now becoming a mother. And so this is always... You know, a little nerve-wracking when I record a solo episode, but um, today's episode in particular feels a little tender, a little sweet. Um, so first off, if you're not at the baby-making stage of your life, maybe this episode won't be that interesting to you. Um, if you are thinking about becoming a mother in the future, maybe it is still of interest to kind of hear some things to perhaps consider or think about. Um, I definitely wish I had known some of this information a few few years ago, but um, we do the best we can with what we have. And before I dive into this episode too, I also really want to acknowledge um, how individual every woman's fertility and motherhood journey is. Um, I know a lot of women who have struggled with infertility and pregnancy loss and 
I, I have seen how devastating that can be and how, um, yeah, I don't even, I don't have a word for it because I don't know that has not been my experience. And I, I just want to acknowledge though, that everybody's journey is different. And I think the most compassionate thing we can do for each other as we hold space for other women, for our sisters, for our, our loved ones, for our friends and our family is to really take judgment off the table and to take expectations off the table and most importantly, respect one another. You know, the choices that we make, whether we want to become a mom, whether we choose not to become a mom, whether we can't become a mom, um, I have heard, I haven't experienced it too badly yet, but I've heard a lot of women talking about mom guilt and judgment and how they feel like they're failing and they're not living up to expectations that they see on social media or from other women. And, and that makes me really sad. And that is something that I think really shouldn't have a place in something so intimate and personal as motherhood. And the other thing I guess I want to add on to that really quickly, um, I'll talk about it more in next week's episode where my guest is Katrina Matiasen, who's a really, really beautiful um, pregnancy yoga teacher here in Oslo. And the thing that she pointed out was that motherhood can come in so many different forms. And it doesn't just have to be that you physically, biologically birthed a baby. And I thought that was a really great reminder that uh, motherhood... (laughs) is in so many different ways. I mean, if we think about Mother Earth and how we can take care of the environment, if we think about uh, how we can nurture people and animals and plants around us, and there's so many ways to bring through the divine feminine without it having to be physically having a baby. So... All of that being said, I am really excited to share kind of what I have done and my trials and errors. And um, and you guys, I am not an expert. Um, this is just kind of the things that I have pulled together using all of my resources, all of my experiences, trying to reach out to women and mothers who I really respect, trying to get advice, trying to get resources. And Um, as I sit here recording this, I'm 23 weeks pregnant with my first child and it's, I don't know, this is just, just to share. So hopefully you get something out of it. If not, well, that's fine. (laughs) All right. So I guess I'll just start kind of at the beginning. Um, I, I'm one of those women where I just, I wasn't really sure if I ever wanted to have a child and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was really just focused on my life and focused on what I was doing and my mission, what I was here to accomplish. And I don't mean climbing the corporate ladder. I mean, from a spiritual standpoint, um, the evolutions and transformations that the last 15 years of my life have really gone through, uh, that was my focus. And yoga and Ayurveda and meditation and continuing to learn and stay a student. And so I I always knew I would be a good mom and I thought about it and I kind of just left it up a little bit too. I was like, well, um, I think I'll wait and see what my partner, my husband thinks. And, you know, if they have a really strong opinion one way or the other, I'm kind of on the fence. I could go both ways. And I was a little ambivalent about the whole idea of actually becoming a mother. And I know a lot of women, um, who are really kind of 
oh my gosh, all I want to do is become a mom. I can't wait to become a mom. I'm meant to be a mom. And I see those women, I think it's so absolutely beautiful that that is their dharma, that is their calling. I mean, the world needs more engaged humans, more engaged adults, more engaged parents. And so I really love that. And, and that just was not my experience personally. I did have a Jyotish reading, um, which is like Ayurvedic astrology. I don't know, I was probably 28 or 29. And he, he said, I asked him if I was going to be a mom. And he said, oh, well, you, you should be a mom. Like he's reading my chart. He's like, yes, you, you should be a mom. According to this, you're going to be a mom. You're going to have two kids. You're going to have a boy and you're going to have a girl. And I was kind of like, oh, two kids. Yikes. <laughs> so even at that age, I knew um, if I were to have children, it wasn't going to be a whole lot of them. And the other thing was, too, I spent most of my adult life, I mean, and childhood, but adult life, really, in ski towns. And <clears throat> living in ski towns, the, the women that I, were, that I was seeing have children it was really common to have your first child later in life when you're 38, 39, 40, because you're busy doing other things. And so when I saw that kind of modeled by the women who were a decade older than I was, that kind of became what I thought might happen for me. I was like, oh, I have plenty of time. I'm in no rush. Um, 38, 39, 40 sounds great. And so it's really funny because I'm, I got pregnant when I was 38. I'll have my baby when I'm 39. And I'm like, oh, okay, right on schedule, according to the uh, ski town timeline. <laughs> um, and so fast forward a few years and, you know, my husband and I, we got married in 2014 and uh, kids weren't on the agenda right away. We were getting established in in. Park City, Utah, where we were living. And then we, after a couple years, decided to move to Norway. And in the middle of all that, many of you know, of course, I got diagnosed with cancer. So that was a whole nother thing that sort of threw a wrench in the program. And, you know, life happens. And I've always heard too that, oh, there's no perfect time to have a baby and you're never ready for it. And, you know, you just have to make the best of whenever the baby decides to come or, you know, all this stuff. And, and to some degree, I absolutely agree with that. I think we have the capacity to alter our lifestyle to fit the needs of a child at any point. However, I also think, <laughs> this is like the conversation between Dharma and free will. Um, I also think we have free will and we have, uh, especially in the Western world, a little bit more freedom to decide when and how we have a child. And I also would like to, yesterday was International Women's Day. Um, I'd also kind of like to give just a little detour shout out to the fact that how privileged and lucky we are living in the Western world to have choice over our bodies for the most part. Looking at you, Alabama, not a lot of choice there. Um, <clears throat> but we have access to things that help us, contraceptives. We have access to education. We have access to um, abortions. 
And so that gives us a lot more agency as women over our bodies and over our family planning and how, when, or if we decide to have kids. And I think that's something that really needs to be acknowledged and respected because it's very easy to just be like, oh, oh my gosh, okay, oh, oh no, I'm pregnant and I don't want to be. How do I get rid of it? Or, oh, my period, what a drag. Oh, um, <laughs> when you look at Africa and you look at India and you look at a lot of women, girls who, who can't go to school while they have their periods because they don't have access to sanitary products um, and they get so made fun of by the other children and even by the teachers and, and the taboo is so strong and women, girls are taught that their bodies are dirty and shameful and... And then at the same time, they turn around and they're 11, 12, and they have their first period. And then all of a sudden, they get married off to some old, gross man. So there's like a lot of things happening in the world to a lot of our sisters that we in the Western world maybe aren't as aware of. It's not at the forefront of our mind. We're just so so caught up in our own experience, in our own life, and that's natural, that's normal. But when we're talking about pregnancy and we're talking about having children and we're talking about family planning... Um, that was one thing I really considered. I (laughs) laughed just, well, I didn't laugh. I kind of was more chuckling. Um, I went to Catholic school, um, all the way up until college. And when we did sex education, I was in seventh grade at the Catholic Catholic school. And our sex education was watching a video of a live birth Uh, That was pretty traumatic. I remember one girl had to leave the room and she vomited in the hallway from seeing all the blood and the screaming. Uh, And then the other thing we had to do was carry around a five-pound bag of sugar. That was our sugar sugar baby (laughs) for a week. And we drew out of a hat. If it was a boy or a girl, I think one person maybe got twins. And you had to carry around your sugar baby all week to teach us responsibility and what it's like to have a baby. Like... Okay. So the reason I was chuckling is, you know, getting pregnant at 38 for the first time. I was like, oh, wow. (laughs) Catholic school sex ed worked. I didn't get pregnant until I was 38 because of that sugar baby. Not really, but funny to think if that were the case. So... Last year, early last year, actually this time last year, my husband and I, you know, I'm getting older, I'm healthy now, we're established, we, we own a house, we are a little bit more settled down, um, I have some more freedom with my career and running the Atman Yoga School, and, you know, we finally had the, the serious conversation, like, okay, time is now, like, either we, we have to decide that we're going to have a child We have to decide that we're not going to have a child. And my husband's younger than I am, which is great. Go me. (laughs) Uh, But it's also then the pressure is coming from my end, biologically speaking, where, um, you know, you run out of time. And so we thought about it and we had a lot of discussions about it. And then we were like, okay, let's do it. We're going to be great parents. I I think this is what we want to do. And, you know, it's always a really difficult, not difficult, but I think a scary decision to really be like, okay, we're going to go for it. And so we sat down, it was February-ish, and decided, okay, this is it. So how is this going to look? What are we going to do? And um, we kind of were looking forward. It wasn't just like, okay, now let's start trying right away. 
Like for me, having a lot of the tools that I do from yoga and Ayurveda, I was like, all right, I want to be incredibly intentional about how we go about calling in this child, this family member. And for me, it's very, very important to be rooted in the decision, spiritually speaking. And so that's why I call the process that I did with conscious conception. And I don't know if that's really what it's called or if that's a thing, but that's kind of what I call it because it was incredibly intentional. It was very thoughtful. Um, and it was done from a spiritual standpoint. And I think that's one of the reasons perhaps why I got pregnant so easily was because I came at it from a different kind of viewpoint than just purely biologically. Although that is of course important. Uh, so it's kind of, there's a lot of different things happening when you're considering getting pregnant and, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, gosh, there's so many thoughts going through my head right now because it's, it's, it's just almost overwhelming to think about the awesome responsibility of becoming a parent. And when you're consciously choosing that and you have time to really think about it, um, you know, and I'm kind of now as I'm sharing this in the podcast, I'm sort of reliving a lot of the thoughts that were coming up in my mind. And it's funny to now be on, on the other side, meaning being pregnant. And then a year from now, it'll be really interesting to check back in once I have my baby and <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. I knew nothing a year ago uh, or two years ago when I decided to, to try and get pregnant. But uh, so anyways, my husband and I, we looked at our calendar, we looked at what we thought was reasonable and we decided we were going to try in the fall. Uh, start trying physically trying in the fall to have a baby. So we decided that in February, and then we knew that we had six, seven, eight months before we tried to get pregnant. And so for me, that felt like a good amount of time uh, to do the things I wanted to do. And so I had a couple of big things that were on my list. And uh, let's see. The first thing I did was, uh, I'd like to give a shout out Jennifer Nari. She's amazing. She is an Ayurvedic practitioner in LA. Um, I worked with her. I did her, uh, Ayurvedic postpartum doula training. It's online. Highly recommend it. Uh, so I did that, getting a lot of information about the fourth trimester and what happens after you have your baby and, uh, learned a lot, a lot, which really then kind of actually, put me on the right track for the preconception part. And then of course, for the actual pregnancy part, like these nine months while I'm carrying the baby. And so I, I, yeah, I just, I learned so much and it was awesome. And that really got the ball rolling for me. I was like, okay, what do I need to do, Jessica, as a woman, as an individual to feel really ready to be present for the experience of motherhood? And one of the things that I've found in the last few months since I've been pregnant is that I'm so grateful to be an older mom. And again, every woman's experience is totally different and no experience is better than a different one. I just think it is what it is. And I've, I had always heard that um, <laughs> the reason you want to have a baby when you're younger is because you have more energy and you have the ability to, for the late night feedings and, you know, sitting up with the crying kid and all that stuff. Um, but what I'm finding that I love about being an older mom is uh, the sense of maturity and the sense of 
groundedness I have in my own being and who I am, what I'm here to do, and really what I can offer to the world and offer to my, my child as a mother and um, the karmic contract that we that we've created for each other and so I'm for me this has been the absolute perfect time of life to be pregnant like it couldn't have happened any earlier I wasn't ready and and I wouldn't have been I mean I could have stepped up to the plate for sure but it wouldn't have been in the same spiritual vein as it is right now and so Some of the other things I considered after I did her training, I was like, all right, well, one of the other things on my list had been uh, to do a breathwork teacher training. And I love breathwork. It's so powerful. It just cleans you out. So I went to London and I did this training with Erin Telford, who is just beautiful. I love her so much. And um, it's kind of in the lineage tradition of David Elliott. And... That training was definitely so that I could teach breath work, but it was really also for me to have uh, an intensive period. It was like three days to just practice breath work and have a pretty big shift emotionally, like cleaning out the stale, junky corners of my energetic body. That's what I wanted to do. And I was like, okay, that's a great starting point to then lay the seeds of intention for getting pregnant. So I went, I did that in April. And then, uh, God, I was busy. Last spring was pretty intense. It was, it was too much work, too much of everything. Um, but I made my way through that. And then I started working with Jenna again, individually, one-on-one. And so we came up with a preconception cleanse that I was going to do. And I had uh, some vacation in the summer, so I knew I wasn't going to be able to to commit to a routine or to being able to cook my own food. So I waited until I got back from Asia, and then I dive, dove, dove in. Oh my gosh. Dove in to a two-month Ayurvedic cleanse and... And it was awesome. I mean, I highly recommend doing a cleanse, a a controlled, gentle cleanse to most people. Uh, And this was was quite gentle, and it was a lot of oatmeal for breakfast, kitchery throughout the day. Uh, I was taking specific herbs. I was taking a lot of ghee for internal oleation, um, aloe vera juice to help cleanse the womb space and the uterus. yeah, it was really, really great. I really enjoyed that. And then the second part of the cleanse is after you have really allowed the ama, the toxins to be released, then the next part of the of the cleanse is the rebuilding, rejuvenation, nourishing portion. And so that was some separate different herbs. Um, uh, I still kept with, with the oatmeal and kitchery for as long as I could. And I still, that's just like my very favorite. Um, I eat a lot of oatmeal still. Lots of ghee, um, dates, whole organic cow's milk, um, anything that can build the ojas really is what I was focusing on then. And that's really what I'm focusing on now while I'm pregnant is (laughs) feeding my baby up. Yeah. So I did that. And then, um, 
let's see, the next thing I did, I went to California and I did a week long Kundalini meditation training with Q Miller. And the intention for me going to this training was really to meditate. I wanted to meditate on my baby that I was calling in. I wanted to meditate on how I can show up as a mother. And I just, I really wanted to open up the energy channels for being clear and being present and being available, available. Um, in Ayurveda, we believe that the, the soul of the child, first of all, the soul of anybody is choosing the vehicle. I mean, this comes from the yoga sutras, but we are choosing the vehicle in which to play out specific karmas uh, in that lifetime. And we choose our parents based on the karmas that we're going to play out with them and our family and our family dynamic. And it's an incredibly strong bond. It's one of the most influential relationships in our life, whether we have a good experience or a bad experience with our family of origin. And so for me thinking about it in that way, I was like, oh my gosh, who, who is this child I'm calling in? And what is the soul that I'm calling in? And what am I going to learn from them? And what are they going to learn from me? And then we bring in the soul of my husband and we bring in the, the dynamic of my marriage with my husband and I, and how that's going to impact our child and so much to consider with. And that's why I needed time <laughs> to sit, sit and meditate and be still. And, um, allow the distractions in my day-to-day -day life to just kind of fall by the wayside so that I could really be there and really think about this baby. And one of the other things that, um, you know, we're taught about in, in yoga and Ayurveda is, and maybe from like a, maybe a new age perspective too, I don't know, but uh, the spirit, the soul of the child that we're calling in uh, it's not just like they're hanging out and then all of a sudden, whoop, this is where I'm going. <laughs> like they're kind of sniffing around. They're sort of feeling out like, is this the mom? Is this the family? Is this the time? Is this the experience? And so when I was on this meditation retreat slash training, it for me was like uh, sending up the flare signal to the baby saying, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Come find me. Um, and so it was a really, a really cool experience to just feel like I was doing everything I could to be intentional and to be conscious and to be really aware of how I wanted to become a mother. And that being said, like, of course, you know, everyone's like, oh, you don't get to choose your child. <laughs> some children are well-behaved. Some children are not well-behaved. Some children are energetic. Some children are quiet. Like, the characteristics and qualities of the human child. Uh, yes, we don't get to choose, but I think the underlying karmic energetic relationship, we do have a little bit of choice in. If we're aware, if we are willing to perhaps consider a different idea. And, and for me, that's what this was all about. And the other thing I haven't mentioned yet, I guess, um, my husband and I, when we were dating and then we got married and we were talking about kids and the one thing we had always decided on and always agreed on right away was that, um, if we were to have a kid, we were only going to have one. And that felt like the right choice for us, no matter when we decided to have the child. And 
I want to share this and be really clear about it because I've talked with moms privately, individually, because I'm, I'm so, now I'm in mom land. So I'm like, I want to know everything about babies and being a mom. And, and I don't have a lot of experience. So I need to talk to more experienced mothers. And, um, I'm very, I have no shame about the fact that I only want to have one child. And apparently there, there is some stigma around having just one kid or, having your child be an only child. And so some of the moms I've talked to are like, wow, you know, thanks for being so honest and open about only having one kid. And for me, this is very true to who I am in terms of how I am as a teacher in general. And I strive to always really be rooted in authenticity and consciousness um, in how I show up in the world, how I present myself, how I act as a teacher, how I act as a friend. I, for me, my spiritual practice is radical self-inquiry. It's a tagline for this podcast, radical self-inquiry. Um, I don't use it so much anymore, but it used to be part of my logo. And Radical for me, radical self inquiry can come only with radical honesty and with stepping into the power of vulnerability with being really honest about our experiences with our pain, our suffering, our trauma, but also standing in the vulnerability of our choice. Oh, I choose to have one child, I choose to have no children. I choose to have an abortion. I choose to have five children, <laughs> whatever the case might be. Um, to me, that's really important. And so I share that we're only having one kid. And I've had people make comments to me like, oh, you say that now? I'm like, well, <laughs> eh, no, pretty sure, pretty sure. I have always only wanted one child. And um I'm also going to be really curious to see what happens when I actually have the child, not in terms of wanting another one, but in terms of if I get more comments like, Oh, you know, I've read, uh, I have a really great, well, I have a ton of books, uh, that I've, I've bought and I've been reading about spiritual parenting. And one of them is all about parenting an only child and the types of comments that you might hear from other people like, Oh, when are you going to give them a brother or sister? Aren't they going to be lonely or, Oh, they're going to be raised so spoiled or they're not going to know how to share. And all of those concerns are not concerns to me. I think that there's a lot of really beautiful ways to nurture an only child uh, and to have them be socialized and to have them be compassionate and have them be able to participate in society in a way where they're productive and they're not being bullies or they're not being bullied and they're not being aggressive and they're not being um, unable to compromise. I think a lot of those lessons can be learned at home. And I think a lot of those lessons also um, can be learned through, through different other like ways in how you choose to have your child participate in things. And um, <clears throat> I don't know. And again, <laughs> parenting and parenting decisions and parenting styles, all of that is incredibly personal and individual. And everybody, every parent has the right to make their own choices about that. Um, I don't know. I'm 
yeah, right in the middle of the thick of thinking about like, oh, what kind of a parent am I going to be? And I think I'm going to be a pretty strict parent, quite honestly. But I think I'm also going to be a really free parent in other ways. And so that's kind of fun to think about. And my husband and I talk about that, like, oh, my God, how are we going to be as parents? And <laughs> I'm, I'll be an older mom, so I'm not going to have as much patience <laughs> or maybe as much um, energy. I'll be like, go outside, eat, eat some dirt, throw some rocks. <laughs> Um, and then you go to bed at seven, but I go to bed at nine. So, (laughs) although yes, I do know that's going to change when I have my baby. I get it. But, uh, anyways, one child and, and that decision is incredibly right for me, incredibly right for my husband. And we're psyched on that. So anyways, that also really informed a lot of the things that I decided to do with this idea of conscious conception, because I knew we were only going to have one child and I really didn't want to feel like I didn't do everything I could do to feel prepared to be a mother. And I don't know. I mean, I, I absolutely believe every mom does everything they can in their own way to be prepared. And, you know, surprise pregnancies, I think you were, I, I think a lot of women were in in ways perhaps energetically putting out a sign that they were ready to become pregnant um whether it was through carelessness or whether it was through just divine timing like I don't know I can't make any sort of judgment on anyone else's experience but um coming at it from a little bit more of a yogic perspective I think when a baby's ready to come a baby comes And so for every woman, I think that is part of the process. And it's just whether we're aware of it or not. And for me, I have been trying to be as aware as possible calling in this child. And I also understand like, you know, it's kind of what I'm saying is sort of woo-woo. It's sort of out there. It's a very different approach um, to how the Western world approaches having a baby, getting knocked up. And... I think there's a middle ground. I mean, this has been my message from my experience with cancer treatment. I think there's a middle ground. Western medicine is great. It has a purpose. It has a place. Absolutely. But we're not just one dimensional physical biological beings. Like we have all these other layers and all of these other energetic bodies to consider. And I think that when we don't consider that, we are missing a big part of the picture. And so how do we marry East with West in terms of our approach, whether it is to healthcare in general or whether it's to fertility, uh, conception? I don't know. And, and I, I, for me, this is what's worked. And this is my belief system. And this is what I've been taught from teachers who I trust and, and really respect and admire. And so that's my message, <laughs> you know, take it or leave it. That's totally fine. Totally up to you. But so along this journey of conscious conception, a lot of the meditations I was doing, a lot of the books I was reading were just geared towards becoming open, becoming receptive and softening Uh, A lot of my adult life has been about a hustle, go, 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 working a bunch of jobs and always trying, trying to go somewhere, trying to do something. And I look back, especially in my twenties and it was just like hustle, 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 hustle. And (laughs) 
I get tired of the hustle and partially that's my age and partially that's just, I'm learning how to rest a lot more and rest is such an important thing to me. Um, I do not like to compromise on rest. I am a much softer, much kinder person when I am able to take care of myself in that way with rest, with boundaries, with saying no to things. And then the flip side of that too is then also saying yes to things that bring me joy. <laughs> Having coffee with somebody that I really like, um, going and doing things that are really fun, or spending time with my husband or petting my dog. Oh my gosh, my sweet Mimi, I love her so much. <laughs> and so that's what a lot of last year was about in this conscious conception journey was like, all right, uh, where can I let go a little bit? And that's why the spring was so rough a year ago when I was working so much and it was hard to like have the space in this room to breathe and to really focus. And so then I was like, I, I, I was like, okay, time for an adjustment here. What can I let go of to make more space? And so that was part of my process was getting as stripped down and as bare as possible. I mean, that being said, I still was working a lot because I had commitments set that I couldn't break. Um, but emotionally and mentally reframing the way in which I was viewing the process and the way in which I was viewing um, that period in my life was really helpful. And I will say one other thing about this too that I think is really important and um I, for me, I think this was really a, a game changer and, and I don't know how to teach this. I don't know how to make this happen. Um, this was just my experience. So my husband and I, when we decided for sure that we wanted to try and get pregnant and we wanted to have a baby and we we're like, okay, we're only going to have one. And then the other thing we decided was um, if we didn't get pregnant naturally, and by naturally, I mean, I didn't take any hormones. I didn't, um, we weren't using surrogacy. We didn't do anything um, like that. If we didn't get pregnant, then we weren't going to have a child. And that might sound like a really selfish decision to make. But again, uh, I'm very clear in my choice and, and, it, and it being the right choice for us and our family. And Having made that decision together and we were both like 100% on board, it was, a, I mean, we made the decision in like two seconds. Um, it took a lot of pressure off of us. And for me, it, knowing that we were going to be okay no matter what and knowing that we weren't going to commit a lot of time or resources to trying to get pregnant if it didn't happen, um, I think what that did was it allowed me to be really relaxed. And I think relaxation and not being stressed is a huge determining factor in fertility. And I, I do believe science has proven that also. Um, <clears throat> when I spoke with my, uh, my cousin, one of my cousins who lives in California, she's an OBGYN in Oakland. And I talked to her when I was in California in the fall after my meditation retreat and talked to her that we were getting ready to try and get pregnant. And, and she delivers babies all day, every day. And she was saying, Jess, she's like, well, I'm not going to give you any advice <laughs> because I think that's a bad idea to give women advice. Um, 
especially unsolicited, but she said, the one thing I'm going to tell you is, and it had to do with delivery. She said, I am going to tell you to not get so caught up in your birth plan. Like, you know, have an idea of what you'd like to have happen, but don't get so like, oh my God, it has to be this way or more. My life is over. And she said, what happens is so many women come in and they're like 100%, this is how it has to be. And then what happens is something goes wrong as it (laughs) oftentimes does. And the women freak out. And when you freak out and you start contracting and tensing up against the experience and the process, then it ends up putting you in a position, the woman's body in a position where then they're at a higher likelihood of needing some kind of an intervention. And so a lot of times those are the women who then have to have a C-section and then are really incredibly upset because that birth, their birth didn't go the way they wanted it to. And so she's like, just promise me (laughs) you're not going to get so worried about how your birth plan is. I was like, I was like, I'm on it. I got it. That's, I have an idea, but I'm not going to stress too much. And that's also how I approached fertility was like, I have a plan. This is how I'd like to see it go, but I'm not going to stress too much. If it doesn't happen, then okay. For me, I'm okay with that. And again, this is just me and my decision and who I am and where I am in life. And I understand that for a lot of women, that's not the right answer. Like, like there is more measures to be taken uh, for them. And So I think for me, though, that really helped. I wasn't stressed about getting pregnant. I wasn't worried about what would happen if I didn't get pregnant. I was just kind of like, all right, well, let's just kind of see how this goes. (laughs) My husband's like, all right, let's just see how it goes. And that's what carried us through. And even though I was doing all this stuff on the back end, spiritually speaking, to prepare and call in a child, um, if I were not able to get pregnant or I didn't get pregnant, then all of that effort would still be a benefit to me. So it wasn't like I was going to be like, oh, well, that was a waste, a waste of a breathwork training, a waste of a meditation retreat. Like, no, there still was a lot of value there for me. And so, yeah, that's just crazy. Learning how to let go of, of the death grip on expectations on our life. And I think that's more a comment to everything in our life, not just fertility. Um, You know, we get so good at talking ourselves into a frenzy about worst case scenarios. And, oh my God, if I don't get that job, if we don't get that house, that somehow our life is less than, or we are less than, and that's not the right message. Um, That's not how I think we can be the most happy, the most fulfilled, the most productive versions of ourselves. It's how do we find some inner peace, some inner contentment, regardless of circumstances around us. And maybe too, part of my attitude about everything is coming from the fact that I did survive a really rare, really aggressive form of cancer. And maybe, I mean, of course it changed me in a lot of ways, but you know, with my husband and I talking about fertility, that was one of the things we didn't know. We're like, all right, I'm older. I might not be able to get pregnant. Um, I'm a cancer survivor. I might not be able to get pregnant. And so there were some other things where then we were like, okay, well, (laughs) if not, then, then not. 
But what I had done too, kind of before, I don't know, I guess it would have been in the springtime. So, so far in this podcast, I've talked a lot about what I've done spiritually and I have some other things that I did, but I did also consider biology because uh, that would be silly not to. So one of the things I've been doing the last few years, and this is my, I highly recommend anybody listening, if you're not doing this already, start now, uh, download an app to track your cycle. And I use Clue. I thought Clue was great. It was free, super easy. Uh, just to start getting an idea of how long your cycle is, how uh, frequent it is, how regular it is, is a really great starting point. And so I had started that a few years before, just like knowing I probably would want this information if we did decide to get pregnant. And it did end up being really helpful in addition to a few of the other things that I did. So I also had gone to like a fertility specialist in Oslo, OBGYN, had a few tests, had an ultrasound done just to kind of see how things were looking because I had no idea. And I was really fortunate. He said I had plenty of eggs. Everything looked good. Um, he said that he expected me to be pregnant within four months, which I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> All right. Then it started to feel really real. And that was in the spring. And we knew we weren't going to start trying until the fall. But I was like, okay, so four months after starting to try, great. Uh, and then what I started doing, and I started this too late. So it actually was not helpful for me. But if you're still a year, two years, few years out from having a baby, then this might be really helpful to start now in addition to using a, a cycle tracking app. And this was uh, temperature testing. So you buy a specific, um, uh, what do you call that, temperature thermometer? thermometer, <laughs> And you have to test your temperature every morning at about the same time. And the reason this wasn't useful for me is because I started too late, because it gives you information about when you ovulate after you've ovulated, because there's a spike in your body temperature. And so you need several months worth of data to kind of get a big picture of like, okay, when is your ovulation according to your body temperature? And did it line up with the length of your cycle and where you thought your ovulation was in your cycle and all of that? And I started, <clears throat> I started doing my temperature testing in the spring. Um, but then the problem was I travel so much and some days I would sleep in some days I would get up super early. <laughs> and so it just, it was really hard for me to get an accurate read on that. Uh, but I do know a lot of women who use temperature testing with a lot of success. And I think there's also, um, you can do the little sticks that you pee on every morning, like the, what are those? The, uh, pH tests, uh, to help you track your ovulation. Uh, but the thing that was super helpful, highly recommend from anyone is I got the clear blue ovulation tracker. And so it's pretty pricey. I think it was like a couple hundred bucks, but it was so worth it because, um, and I did that for three, four months, three, four months leading up to when we thought we were going to start trying to have a kid. So we decided we were going to start trying in October, the, whenever I was ovulating in October. And so basically you have these special sticks that you pee on every morning starting after day six of your period. So it's trying to get to your ovulation and it just gives you a little smiley face when you ovulate and 
then you know, and then you put that information into your clue tracker. You can put your temperature information into your clue tracker. Um, and it was right on. It was with when I thought I was ovulating, according to clue, um, everything kind of lined up. And so it was great. So then it came down to, we're getting closer in October. And, and the really crazy thing is that, um, I was traveling a lot that month. My husband actually had a work trip and, and so I was really worried I was going to be gone and teacher training on when I was ovulating and, you know, these are the concerns every woman has when they are trying to get pregnant. And this was the first month that we were trying. And so it was kind of like, okay, all this pressure, like this is super exciting. It's also really nerve wracking. Um, and so we ended up, we're like, okay, here we go. (laughs) Time to try and make a baby. And it was the day before my ovulation was going to begin. And here's the thing that's crazy. This might be too much information. I'm going to share it anyways, because I think it's really, again, uh, in the spirit of transparency and being authentic, I want to share because this, this is my story. This is what my experience was. And, um, if my mom's listening, Jonas's mom's listening, Jonas's sister's listening. Sorry, cover your earmuffs. <laughs> um, we had, we physically had sex one time. And that was the one time that we got pregnant. Um, my husband had to leave the next day. Uh, we were working a lot. And so it was literally the single time that we had sex during that ovulation period. And so we know exactly when it happened, <laughs> exactly what day, exactly what time. And I mean, of course, I guess the sperm can live for like 24 hours inside your body, but we know when the physical act occurred. And so that's what's super crazy. And, you know, I, I was practicing um, some Ayurvedic methods before before we had sex, and I was doing a lot of chanting right before and really... Um, setting the energy to again, call in this child. And I understand some of the stuff might not be for everybody. And, you know, my husband was on board to a point. Uh, there was some of the stuff Ayurvedically speaking, he wasn't on board with, and that's fine. Um, you got to let your partner be who they are too. And luckily my partner is totally fine with me being me, even when some of the things I do seem a little crazy or a little out there. Um, but I'm so, so deeply rooted in the practice of Ayurveda that to me, it makes a hundred percent sense why you would do some of these things. And so, um, after we had that time of sex, I had to leave for business shortly thereafter as well. And I knew probably within four days that I was pregnant. And this is just a testament to how, when you're really in tune with your body, how you can notice like so many small changes that somebody else might notice or um, might not notice. And I like right away, my breasts were super tender, getting bigger. I had uh, cramps that were a little unusual for me. I was feeling super bloated. My uh, digestion elimination was really off. And I was like, wow, okay, these are definitely pregnancy symptoms. And you know, I think this is why that two-week period from when you think you ovulate and think you got pregnant to when you either have, you either bleed um, when you're at the period phase in your cycle, 
or you don't and you take a pregnancy test. And so that two-week period of waiting is really uh, <laughs> nerve-wracking, I guess, for a lot of people and for my, myself included. Uh, and they're like, oh, well, a lot of these pregnancy symptoms could also just be PMS or getting ready to have your period. And so I was like, well, yeah, but it's like four days after I ovulated. So no, I don't think I'd be, I'd be concerned if my period did start. So I waited, I waited, I waited. I bought one of those fancy pregnancy tests, like find out seven days before your first missed period. And it came back negative. I was like, whoa, really? This pregnancy test said it's negative. Like I don't feel like my normal self. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll just, I'll wait a few more days. I waited a few more days and I again took a, a fancy pregnancy test that came back negative. I was like, wow, okay, maybe I'm really not pregnant. And then I happened to go to the hospital. I was having uh, one of my, my regular cancer treatment checkups and they're uh, drawing some blood. And I said, Hey, is it okay? Can you throw in a pregnancy test since you're taking my blood anyways? And they called up to the doctor, got the permission, all that stuff. And so they drew the blood. And a few days later, I got a phone call from the doctor and, and he's like, I'm so sorry to tell you, but you're not pregnant. I was like, wow. Okay. If the blood test said I'm not pregnant, I'm not pregnant, even though I still was feeling like I was. And so then I just was like, all right, well, okay, I'm not pregnant. And then what should have been my period, the day came and went. Another day came and went. Another day came and went. And I felt crampy. And I was like, gosh, okay, well, I hope my period just starts and gets over with so I can get to the next ovulation phase since I'm obviously not pregnant and I think I got to like day six or maybe even day seven after my missed period I was like man all right I guess I'd better take another pregnancy test just to be sure and this time it was very quickly two lines you're pregnant I was like okay <laughs> this makes a lot more sense to me um, because I am pregnant I feel pregnant and so then I, you know, my husband this whole time, we've been talking about it and, and I just, I was so confused. I was like, God, how am I not pregnant? And so then I called him and I said, oh my God, I'm pregnant for reals. And we both were like, what just happened? Uh, even though we had spent months planning and preparing and thinking about getting pregnant, we didn't really expect it to happen on the first try. And, and the one and only time we physically had sex. And so it was like this totally weird emotion of like excitement, disbelief, and terror. <laughs> like, oh my God. Because I think once you are like actively trying to have a baby and, you know, I think it may be, and I don't know because this wasn't my experience, but I would imagine that maybe the first few months that you're trying it's kind of like, you're like, oh, I really hope we get pregnant, but okay, not a big deal if we don't, like we'll try again next month until you reach that point where it's now been too long and you haven't gotten pregnant. But so we thought we would have a couple months of like, you know, getting used to the idea, trying, hoping, but then not being too upset and then hoping. And I don't know <laughs> what we thought would happen, but, um, it's pretty un unbelievable and pretty amazing. And 
we still look at each other. I mean, we're halfway over halfway done with the pregnancy and we still look at each other and we're like, what happened? (laughs) What are we doing? Wait a minute. Wow. Okay. We're having a baby. And and it's super exciting and we're so thrilled and we, you know, just can't wait for this next chapter in our life. But it's definitely, there's so much that goes into this idea, I think, of conscious conception and really thinking about it and energetically investing in it. And um, for me, I I was a little surprised physically that that happened, but energetically and spiritually, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, I feel like this baby has been wanting to come. And I feel like karmically speaking, this baby was ready to come and was just waiting for me to be ready to be a mom. And, and that's a really cool place to be in because it's, you know, this relationship doesn't start when the baby is physically born from my body. The relationship didn't even start when, when the egg and the sperm connected, this relationship has started before that. And, and I believe that. And so for me, it's kind of like this remembrance of meeting someone who's brand new, but who also you have shared history with. And I don't know. I just, I love that idea. And I love looking at it from the lens of a different perspective and bringing in more of this integrated philosophy towards becoming a mother. And, you know, you guys, I have no illusions. I know being a mom is so, so hard. And there's days where you just want to cry in the closet like my mom did. Um, But I also think that becoming a mother is is a higher calling. And I think it's one of the highest callings that we can have in human form, whether again, we're mothering an actual physical baby or it's a dog or it's mother nature or it's something else. I don't think that matters as much as the act of mothering and nurturing. And so as we're now like in the middle of the pregnancy. And well, and I guess there's a couple other things that I was doing um, that I just want to share quickly too before we got pregnant. Uh, let's see. Besides a lot of just the spiritual contemplation and meditations on becoming a mom, I was doing a lot of yoga nidra uh, with uh, Uma Dinsmore Tuli, who was kind of like the end all be all for feminine meditation. I would say she has written a book called Yoni Shakti and it's like this massive book that is incredibly helpful. It's got different asanas and meditations and it's so much information all about the divine feminine, both anatomically and energetically. And then, so she has a bunch of yoga nidras recorded online that you can listen to that are so great. And, and I'm still listening to them in pregnancy and I'm going to continue to listen to them as I prepare for labor and delivery. Um, and, and then her book, of course, that I read, uh, I didn't read all of it cause it's so much information, but I kind of flipped through to the relevant parts for me. Uh, I did a lot of, uh, sa, ta, na, ma meditation and chanting and I like it it's such a powerful chant that's all about creativity and creation and it's a great one for women who want to become mothers and uh when you say sa 
you, your thumb and your pointer finger come together. When you say ta, your thumb and your middle finger come together. You, you just touch the tips together. Uh, na is the thumb and the ring finger. And then ma is the thumb and the pinky that touch. And then you just keep repeating. Sa, ta, na, ma. Sa, ta, na, ma. And I would actually do this on my dog walks. I would put on a really cool recording of the meditation that was 31 minutes. And I would meditate while walking my dogs, focusing on doing the mudra. Um, and you could also do another really powerful variation when, you, when you're seated, which is same thing. It's 31 minutes, and you do five minutes of it where you're chanting out loud. You do five minutes of it where you're whispering. 11 minutes where you're uh, chanting internally to yourself. Five minutes whispering again. And then five minutes out loud. So 31 minutes uh, chanting sa, ta, na, ma. And that can help really reset your vibrational frequency, which is great. Uh, oh, one of, you know, I was doing all of my regular Ayurvedic dinacharya. So uh, my tongue scraping, my abhyanga, like my daily oil massage. But one thing I added to that is I would every night before going to bed is I would do a little massage, um, not like a massage massage, not like getting in there, but just more like a rubbing, paying attention, sending energy uh, to the womb space with clary sage essential oil. So clary sage is uh, a really amazing essential oil to help balance the female hormones and powerful to use when you'd like to get pregnant. Um, I don't use it now while I am pregnant. I'll wait until after I have the baby to use it again. Uh, oh, I was taking a tincture. I had um, my friend Hillary, who was last week's episode, she had made me a really cool tincture that was a bunch of different flower essences and plant medicine uh, to help bring up my vibrational frequency for conception to be ready to accept the seed of new life. Um, and so that episode you could listen to to learn more about the reasons behind that and why she she makes that beautiful medicine. But um, I did, I had a yoni egg that was made of rose quartz and I didn't use it too much because I bought it fairly close to when we were going to start trying. <laughs> and then surprise, I got pregnant. So once you are pregnant, of course, you never want to insert anything into your vagina. Um uh, besides having intercourse, but in general, you want to keep that space really clean and free from infection. So there wouldn't be a point to using a yoni egg once you are already pregnant. Um, but rose quartz is just oh, such a beautiful crystal. And I mean, it's, it's great for so many different things, but in particular for fertility and becoming a mom and being a new mom and it really resonates with the anahata, the heart chakra. And it's all about love and softening and compassion and it's forgiveness. Oh my God. I think I think actually that's a big part of being a mom. Um, and maybe even a part of self-healing that can come through motherhood. And the, the salve of forgiveness, forgiving yourself, forgiving your parents, maybe, um, if there's some wounds to be healed there, 
and, and forgiving your child, you know, you're like, well, wait a minute, it's a sweet little baby. Like, what are they doing wrong? Um, you know, (laughs) children make mistakes too. And maybe when they're a little older, maybe not quite when they're a baby, but, um, and especially as they develop their own identities, being able to have that grace of forgiveness as a theme throughout your life, I think is uh, a really beautiful spiritual practice to strive towards and, and forgiveness is rooted in compassion (laughs) and compassion lives in the seat of the heart. So everything just like keeps coming back, coming back, coming back to the heart, coming back, coming back, coming back to love. And so working with rose quartz can be an incredibly awesome way to help us and guide us along this journey as mindful parents and, and trying to get pregnant, I think. Um, so I love rose quartz and, oh, so beautiful. Uh, I did a lot with rose essence. That's also a really beautiful, sweet, lovely vibrational tool. Uh, sweet grass. I like sweet grass a lot. I use that. That's a mother plant that can help us kind of get in touch with that femininity. So, uh, in my home, in my space in ritual, I used a lot of sweet grass intentionally to help me become more, maternal feeling and and for me again it comes back to the idea of softening and relaxing becoming receptive like that cooling lunar energy um i didn't do this but this might be a great thing to consider um i'm I'm just like just now thinking about it um meditating doing japa meditation with uh, a pearl mala and I have a pearl mala. <laughs> I could have done that, and I didn't. Although I guess I could start now. Maybe I will. Uh, uh, pearl is a very feminine stone and has a lot of energy. Uh, but I think it would be very, very potent for fertility, uh, especially if you charged it underneath the new moon and the full moon. Um, but anyway. So there were a lot of different things that I was bringing in, my Ayurvedic practices, chanting, meditation, contemplation. Uh, I journaled about becoming a mother, um, talked with my husband about what we thought we would be like as parents. So lots of different things. And, And then I got pregnant, I am pregnant, and a couple of the things I'm doing now during my pregnancy, in addition to a lot of those things still, um... I would say the number one thing I'm doing in my pregnancy is resting, which is really surprising to me. I thought I would be more active. I thought I would be more concerned about my physical body. And I am concerned about my physical body and preparing for the marathon of labor and delivery. But I actually think overall I will be better served by being calm and relaxed and not stressed. And so not stressing is the main thing I'm focused on right now. And, and that's hard. I'm still working. I'm still traveling a lot. Um, I don't sleep as well. I'm feeling kind of gross a lot of the time, but still just being like, so, so kind to myself in a lot of ways is probably my main practice right now. I'm doing a little bit of yoga. Uh, I'm doing more chanting meditation, trying to do uh, as much breath work as I can and very gentle pranayama is just expanding the lungs, keeping the intercostal muscles between my ribs nice and open, 
Um, the connection between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor is very strong. And so focusing a lot on how my breath is going to help me during the delivery. And apparently uh, a lot after the delivery, you know, that's super new territory for me, but uh, I'm working with two women who are just so lovely. And um, I really recommend. So one of the things that's, you know, why I want to do this podcast is because I think it's so important to talk about um, alternative therapies, but not even alternative therapies, just ways in which we as women can help one another, uh, in which we can be sounding boards for each other, we can be resources for each other, we can be cheerleaders for each other. I just, I am so not into the, the cattiness or the judgment of <sighs> what I've heard can happen and motherhood land. Um, I don't know. I just, maybe that's because I'm older too. I just don't have the time or the energy to compete with other women. And, and that's true across the board. I want to support other women. I want other women to support me. And so finding these women to help during this amazing, awesome transformation into a mother is something that was important to me and I, I want to share with others listening. So I'm working with this absolutely amazing osteopath who focuses on pelvic floor health and uh, specifically during pregnancy and postpartum, but all different women. Uh, Mona Elsnes, she's on Instagram as female wellness, uh, just a wealth of knowledge and so kind. So that's incredibly helpful to physically think about preparing my body. And, and she knows so much. She, uh, she's also becoming a yoga teacher and is really into the energetics of the body as well. And so it's like, oh, great. All right. Somebody who speaks my language. <laughs> Whereas when I go to my, uh, my GP, I don't so much want to tell him about um, all of the chanting and meditation I'm doing during my pregnancy. I think he would probably look at me like I'm a little crazy, and that's fine. Know your audience. <laughs> um, and then um, my doula is so, so beautiful and so sweet, and I just, I'm, I'm so excited to have her on my team. Um, Ronghild. Uh, Torison, I don't know how to say her last name, Torison. Uh, and she's on Instagram as Imagine Birth Works. And, you know, a doula is such an important partner during the process of preparing to give birth and then giving birth and then after birth. Uh, a doula is your advocate and they're really there to help you and support you in any way that they can. And so that can be things like during the labor, like uh, massage and acupressure and helping to physically like hold you up and support you and encourage you and remind you to breathe and um, talking to the doctors on your behalf or in Norway, I guess, with the midwives. Uh, they're there to demystify and, and help you feel safe and feel comfortable and remove some of the fear factor, I think, that can be present during birth. Again, I don't know, but just from what I've been told. <laughs> um, personally, I'm, I'm not so terribly fearful of the birth, um, but I also currently I'm doing a lot of visualizations about the birth and um, really trying to focus on learning how to relax my pelvis and relax my body. Um, 
How do I tap into the parasympathetic nervous system, even in the middle of a very traumatic experience where, where your body naturally maybe wants to kick into the parasympathetic, or I'm sorry, into the sympathetic nervous system, which would be the fight or flight. And so it's like, how do you, and I mean, this is all of what yoga is and meditation is, is not tricking your body, but it's retraining your body to not respond to a fight or flight response or situation rather, a fight or flight situation with a fight or flight response, but learning how to respond to a fight or flight situation with a rest and digest uh, response. That's what we're trying to do in birth um, from a holistic approach anyways. And that's what I'm trying to learn how to do and train myself to do. And so really focusing on that and having a doula that I trust is going to help make me more comfortable and especially giving birth in a foreign country. And I don't really understand a lot of the protocols here and haven't necessarily had good experiences with other doctors here. So for me, my fear actually comes from the, the, the medical process. It's not coming from the, the experience of giving birth. And, and that's something that I just have to be, be aware of and communicate to my husband and to my doula and my mom will be here during the delivery, which will be awesome. So those are some of the things I'm doing now. I'm actually, um, my Abhyanga is a huge part of my practice. So I currently do Abhyanga twice a day because <laughs> my, you know, Vata is definitely rising and um, I'm trying to control my nervous system as much as possible and soothe my nervous system. And so eating a lot of dates and, and, and nourishing foods and slowing down and resting, these are all parts of my practice now, chanting, meditating. And then we'll see what happens during the delivery. Um, my baby is due July 9th, and so it's the perfect time, super excited. And then uh, the fourth trimester, and I have a lot of plans for that as well. And, and you know, I don't know how the birth and delivery will go. There's no way to tell until you're in it. But um, I'm planning to practice uh, 42 days Ayurvedic postpartum period. And so that's really the time for the family to be at home and bond with the baby. And I'm so fortunate my husband will be home for the first month. And it's all about, from an Ayurvedic perspective, mothering the mother. So how do we take care of the mom and how does the mom get to rest and heal and uh, both physically, but also energetically as well. And really taking the time that she needs to to heal. I mean the baby is of course a prior the it's 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 I'm gonna say a priority. Um, naturally the baby does become the priority when it's a newborn and it's so exciting and you're all about it. But Ayurveda reminds us to not forget the mother <laughs> because in so many ways in the Western world, the mom gets forgotten. She's just like, oh yeah, you're still bleeding out of your vagina and you're in a lot of pain and oh, too bad for you. <laughs> oh, time to get up. The baby needs to feed. Okay, get up. Oh, and so-and-so wants to come visit. Okay, well, you've got to make some food and oh, the bathroom's a mess. You got to clean and do laundry and oh, you just had your baby three days ago. Oh, that's too bad for you. And especially, oh my gosh, especially in the American system, which is terrible. And it's just, my heart breaks for every woman I know. 
who had a typical American experience. And, you know, only if you have a good job, do you get typically six weeks maternity leave and then six weeks of um, unpaid family leave. So a good job in the U.S. allows you to take off 12 weeks. Half of those are unpaid. (laughs) And then you think about the moms who don't have as good of jobs or you think about the moms who are yoga teachers. You don't work, you don't get paid. So if you take any time off in the postpartum period, what do you do? How do you keep your lights on? How do you pay your rent or your mortgage? Um, and you're trying to take care of this baby and you have no help. It's, it's crazy. I don't, I don't understand it. Um, that's one thing Norway does very well is take care of mothers and dads. Uh, it's just, it's so awesome. We're going to all be home for the first six, seven months. And then Jonas is going to be home for the next six months, uh, after having a month off at the beginning. And so anyways, in the postpartum period, you know, that takes so much of the stress away from the situation and, and not having to worry financially and not having to worry about <sighs> childcare. Um, the government here pays. I get as a, um, someone on a work permit and a work visa, uh, what I get is the average of my last three years salary is what the government will pay me to be at home with my baby. And that's just awesome, awesome social service. And so I get my same salary, basically, and and I'm home bonding with my baby. And so for the first 42 days, the first six weeks, it's all about rebuilding the OJAS, balancing the VATA, lots of um, self-massage, lots and lots of oil. I mean, it'd be doing belly binding, which helps keep everything in place. And it also is, again, really soothing to the nervous system. Um, so grounding the Vata energy and following a specific diet, which I'm really excited about, take all the guesswork out, a lot of the food and snacks and drinks, uh, I'm going to prepare in advance when my mom is here for the week before I, you know, around roughly when I will give birth, uh, we'll just be cooking like crazy and stocking up the fridge and everything so that once I have the baby, it's very easy for people to help me <laughs> prepare the food and serve me the food. And my job, number one, is to feed the baby, bond with my baby. And number two is to heal myself. And uh, I plan to be very selfish about that. But it's not selfish at all because when the mother is grounded, when the mother is nurtured, when the mother is able to heal, guess what? it's much easier to then gradually become of service and be a more present mom, a more present partner. When you feel more fulfilled and you feel rested and you feel like you've had a chance to heal physically, and then, then of course, there's a spiritual element that comes when you feel taken care of. And I don't know. I just, I'm like so excited to see how this whole thing unfolds while understanding I'm not in control. (laughs) And so it's just sort of like, all right, you plan for the best and then you just kind of roll with the punches, whatever happens. And, um, yeah, I'm just absolutely thrilled. I can't wait. It's going to be so exciting. And, and I also, I really want to thank everybody listening for tuning into this episode and hearing some alternatives to the status quo. And the more we share, the more we reach out, the more that we support each other, the more access other moms have to this information. Uh, 
a lot of this information is very simple. It's not expensive. You can do it yourself. You can find uh, resources online, on YouTube. Um, I don't know. Why, why can't we help each other have a more beautiful experience during conception, during pregnancy, during labor, and during early motherhood? Uh, that's kind of, that would be my dream. When we have more healthy moms, we have more healthy babies, we have a more healthy society, and everybody wins. And I just, having never been through this process, everything's so new, I'm not an expert, I just can only speak to my experience and to what I have been taught or I have been shown. Uh, but I just, I, I look at, again, more so in America perhaps than in Norway, but in Norway for sure too, how overworked moms are, how underappreciated moms are, how lost a lot of moms are when they're so dedicated to trying to just stay with their head above water, you know, trying to give their kids the best that they can. And, and you know, there's been a, a meme that's floated around the last few months, but I think it's several years old, and it's something about a quote how, you know, we we want as women, we want to show up at work as though we don't have kids (laughs) and we want to show up at home as though we don't have a job. And it's like, Oh, okay. And actually there was a really great episode on goop recently, the goop podcast with Gwyneth Paltrow, which some episodes I agree with some, I'm like, "Eh, I don't know. But there was an episode about how the, the new midlife crisis for women is the result of being told that we can have it all. And then actually not having the support from society to have or do it all. And so women are so burnt out, and women who are in their you know, 40s in particular, um, of a, a specific era who are trying to climb the corporate ladder and be the best mom and make all the homemade healthy snacks and keep their house Pinterest worthy. And, you know, there's so much pressure and it's like, okay, well, where all is this coming from? First of all. And then second of all, like, how do we get off the hamster wheel? How do we find peace within that allows us to just be content? Um, I don't know. I do have some ideas about that, but but I think that's going to have to be saved for another episode since this one's so long. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll stop there. I just thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast. Thank you so much for um, all the kind words and messages I've had throughout my pregnancy. And um, I hope I hope maybe this episode was of interest. And I guess that's it. That's all. Bye-bye.